I am recording right now. Welcome to another episode of The Artistic Director. I am sitting here with Chris Coleman. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on here. It's, sure, it's great. Of um, so for the listener who is not familiar with you, can you give a brief history of yourself in the theatrical world that led you to be the Artistic Director of a Portland Center stage at the Armory? Oh, gosh. Brief. <laughs> um, brief. Brief. Okay, so I guess the, um, the chapters would look like uh, I, I grew up in Atlanta, thought I was going to be an actor or a preacher or a teacher. I went to undergrad at Baylor, uh, studied acting and directing, and then started working as an actor professionally. Moved to New York, worked a little bit as an actor, went to grad school in Carnegie Mellon, and then I went back to Atlanta and started a theater company in the basement of an old church with 2500 bucks. And that was Actors Express, and we were successful, and we, we operated in the black for 12 years and did a lot of amazing work. And and I also got to freelance around the country during that period. And then a couple of theaters kind of came knocking on my door, <clears throat> one in Pittsburgh, one in Seattle, and then this theater. And um, had Hunter reached out. I came out on a beautiful October day to interview with the search committee and kind of had an instant liking for the city. And despite all the challenges that I knew would uh, lay before me, uh, was convinced that, that there was a huge opportunity here. So I came out in May of 2000. Okay, excellent. And, uh, and you've run this theater since then? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so I like to start my interview asking all of my guests the same question. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a big ambiguous question. Answer it however you wish. Uh, but the question is simply, what is your artistic direction? What is my artistic direction? Direction, yes. I'm, I'm not sure what that question means, that, Jacob. I, I guess in terms of uh, running the theater itself or for yourself personally, in what direction, like, what what do you see like yourself artistically directing yourself towards? It um, is a big ambiguous question. Well, here's, here's how I, I will tackle it. Um, I mean, I think leading an organization like this involves a couple of threads. First, and probably the most important, is being able to see, imagine a future for the organization, <clears throat> to imagine a, an ambition and its role in the community, and being able to excite a group of people about what you see in your head. <clears throat> I think that is probably the most vital function. And so in my role, I am programming the shows, I'm choosing the shows with a team of um, artistic staff. I'm also directing a couple shows, maybe three a year, sometimes I write. Um, and then I'm also engaged with the board around fundraising, visioning, governing the organization and leading the staff. So to me, the, the role is about figuring out what kind of work is going to be most exciting for me and for the community mm -hmm. um, and figuring out where to, what is the kind of balance uh, between what we aspire to do and what would be most thrilling and what we can afford to do. <laughs> um, you know, and it, so the, I'll stop there. Okay. Uh, so you're talking about providing for the community and I'm curious, what do you think Portland, the, the people of Portland are interested in seeing? What shows are they most intrigued by? It depends on um, 
there there's not a Portland. There are multiple Portlands. There are many, many aspects of this community. And some of our shows are designed and and chosen knowing we're gonna have really broad open arms and a lot of people are gonna come are gonna have an interest in the show. Some of our shows are chosen because we think it's a really fantastic new piece of work, but we understand it's gonna have a much smaller um, audience likely because it's not something people have heard of before um, or it doesn't have a you know a marquee um, brand attached to it, but it's still a really powerful story that this community uh, would you know really resonate with. But you understand you going in that that's going to those are going to be two different numbers, two different sizes of audiences, and you're going to talk to the prospective um, patron in a different way and on different mediums to get them get to them. Does that make any sense? That does make sense. Yeah, yeah. There's different types of people. And there's different Absolutely. ways to access. Absolutely. And when you're uh, so we're the largest organiz- largest theater in the city. We're the second largest um, non musical theater in the Pacific Northwest, oh, wow. and so. With that comes the responsibility to introduce or engage many people in the community with the art form. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, I'm gonna choose plays differently or think of our role differently than I would if I was running uh, Portland Playhouse, which is a much smaller, you know, 150 seats. And um, so sometimes they can make a choice that wouldn't make any sense for us. Um, but but and sometimes then we'll do something you know su- we'll do things that are super edgy but we will do them down in the studio and we will budget knowing we'll likely have a smaller audience for that mm-hmm. so did you were you always the biggest theater company in Portland or was the move to the RRA like, no we, we've always been okay and yeah. I'm just curious because this building I mean since we since we were founded okay in, so, yeah. in 88 um, this building this <laughs> I can edit this out. <laughs> uh, this building's beautiful. This building is. I walked in and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is yeah, amazing. Yeah. What um, what were the forces that were brought together to put center stage in the armory? In the armory. Itself? Yeah. Um, well, when I interviewed for the job, I mean, I was quite reluctant, honestly, um, because the headhunter sent me the materials about the company, and on paper it looked like a really hard. Um, equation to bring into balance and to do something exciting with, and 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 by that I mean the the theater they were in was 880 seats, the budget was three million, they had a deficit of 780 thousand, and the population base at the time was 1.9 million, and you know in my homework that I'd done in grad school about regional theaters, what I knew is that if you were filling 880 seats on a regular basis, you were likely in a population base of 5 million and up, and you had a um, operating budget of 10 to 20 million. And so I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know how you, I don't know how you make that work. I don't know how you succeed in that space, and you're likely going to end up doing just the most um, just generic programming to try to put butts in seats. And so I initially kind of balked, and um, but he, the headhunter, convinced me to come out and. And I and actually everybody who was a finalist for my job said, if you're going to succeed long term, you got to get into a new building. You got you have to have a new home, um, and and a, and a home that would feel right sized for this community, this size of community, 
It's likely 500, 600 seat main stage and a 200 seat studio, which is kind of in, the, in communities this size around the country, that's been what's been successful. And, and I also felt that, um, you know, for me, the whole drive to move from a smaller company to a larger one was A, to kind of have a larger pulpit to create a conversation with a community, but also the opportunity to reimagine how a big flagship theater interfaces with, with a community on a daily basis. So I really wanted the opportunity to curate how the public spaces get used and who uses them and what you invite people in to do in them. And um, and we couldn't do that in our other space. It was a city-owned building and we really only had you know control over the performance spaces when we were performing. And um, so so in the second interview I basically said if you know if you hire me it's gonna be with the knowledge that we're gonna build a new home. And they said great um, let's do it. And two years later um, one of my board members who was on that search committee, who uh, is the real estate developer who developed this area, came to me and said they owned this building, a group of investors, and um, he said, we've got a, a letter of agreement with LA Fitness to turn it into a gym. But it's an incredibly iconic building. Until the 1920s, it was the largest gathering area in the city, and four presidents spoke here, and Chicago Symphony played here. It just, it just had a really colorful history, mm -hmm. and he said, you know, he said it was breaking his heart that it was going to have such a limited use in the future. And could I imagine us putting the theater in here? And I had been salivating over this building since my second interview. <laughs> um, and uh, I said, I think we can. And then literally the next week we sat down with architects and started imagining how we would put the program in here. That's me. I'm, if you don't mind me asking, how long did it take from getting the building itself to the end? So it was 2002 was that conversation with my board member, and then 2006 we moved in, so four years, which is, I don't recommend that. It was like, <laughs> it was like, a, it was like way, way fast. But in some ways, there was great power in that. Mm -hmm. You know, here's an opportunity. You're never going to get a, a historic building that's got this kind of footprint in a, in a piece of real estate that is as desirable and pedestrian friendly as this particular spot yeah. is, is it was never going to happen again yeah. in Portland yeah um, and so you had to do it yeah and this is in the heart of downtown yeah. which is just uh, I mean, it's amazing um, so I, I want to you, you mentioned something uh, earlier which is knowing about the future of the company yeah like understanding where you're going and that's I think one of the reasons why I started doing this podcast in the first place is like I've encountered a lot of artistic directors that are focused only on just like okay we have this show coming up and then I know two more shows that are going to be and that's it mm -hmm. and so I, I just want to I guess I'm going to pose this question in uh, the like under the veil of like a small community theater. So, mm -hmm. what advice would you have for a small community theater uh, in terms of looking forward to the future? Say they do, they're in a small community. Say they do three performances a year and they're doing all right. What are ways that a uh, artistic director of that company can start structuring things in order to have growth? Say within five years. Uh, that's well, a pretty big. No, yeah, it's, it's, I think. Um, I think. The longer I have leadership responsibility, the more I come to believe that leadership, whether it's in the theater or it's in real estate or it's in tech or education, 
at a certain point, it is really your role is about imagining the future and being able to tell the story of what realizing that future will bring, hmm. what benefit that future will bring hmm. to your community. And, and ultimately, I think most of the things we as human beings imagine and desire, we desire them because we believe they will make us feel better, happier, more fulfilled, more connected, more human, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I think all of that stuff about what it means to be human, how you live a human life, that is the kind of language we as theater makers um, train in. That's where we have kind of our ESP, our extra, extra ability to understand. And so allowing your, and I, I understand what you're saying, as the person running the organization, you become fiercely, obsessively familiar <laughs> with the obstacles, with the realities, with the things that stand in your way. And, and so you have to figure out, if I'm stuck in that, who can I get around me? Who, who, who can I get into conversation with that will help me imagine a what if? You know, and I think the what if has to be both internal and external. Um, you know, if we were able to, you know, raise another $250,000 a year and, and that was going to, and I was going to try to improve what we were putting on stage, how would I deploy those dollars? What would be most meaningful for me? Would it be extra rehearsal time on new plays? Would it be you know, an expansion of the number of actors that we have on, on stage? Would it be more materials for the sets? And then the, the, the question has to become, and how will that amplify the experience of the people buying tickets to my shows? Mm -hmm. How will it amplify the experience we are able to bring to this community? And then hopefully, how might it amplify our profile in the region and the, and the, and the field? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm going to you and, and you have the capacity to donate or to help make this possible, I've got to be able to articulate both. You know, why I, why I want it as an artist working in the company, why it means there are stories that we can't say yes to right now, and what, it would, what its impact would be on the community. I think those are the same questions that somebody would be asking or should be asking if they're running a small community theater that does three shows a year. What you know? What what would growth allow? Mm -hmm. What would it allow in terms of the experience we offer? Because that's basically what we're selling. And and it might be just as as, as rudimentary as better bathrooms. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, be, be, better um, better lobby experience for the folks coming in, yeah. so that it, that is not a barrier. Yeah, the show starts when they walk in the door. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, so, those are my thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what, I, what obstacles have you encountered uh, over the years? Not the, the whole building notwithstanding. So, the beginning, after you've uh, acquired the building, what, what are some prominent obstacles that you've had to overcome as the years have gone on? Well, y you encounter obstacles every week. <laughs> um, and 
you know, uh, uh, sure, uh, an obstacle is dollars. Um, you are, I want to do a Richard III. Um, I, I can't imagine a way to do a Richard III that is clear, that makes sense without 20 actors. Um, because I think you double it up too much and it's like, blah, I can't track who's who. And, um, and so, and I've never been able to budget that in a way that pencils out, that, that doesn't lose money. Um, so costs are rising. Materials, steel, lumber, um, is rising, and uh, housing and labor are rising across the country, but in particular on the West Coast, mm-hmm. in cities like Portland. And and what that means is the pressure on wages is intense because my staff <clears throat> are getting priced out of their apartments or their homes, so they're having to move farther away. Their commute is increasing. They're spending more to get here, and at a certain point. They say, I can't afford to work there. And so, you know, your turnover increases. And so you've got to invest more in wages. Okay. So you're, this is way more than you wanted to know. No, no, this is um, brilliant. <laughs> um, so, so your, your, your costs are rising and your revenues, depending on what company you are, may be flat, they may be down, and they may be very modestly up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anybody whose revenues are up dramatically. Yeah. And, and so how do you, so that creates a gap in when you're trying to make your, your budget work. And so how do you offset that? Well, you do a couple of things. You raise prices um, and you've probably raised prices for the last couple of years and you think, oh, are we hitting the point where we're going to price ourselves out? Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to start making, creating an obstacle for people to buy a ticket. And another goal we have is to make the place more accessible and if our prices keep going up we're kind of going the opposite direction of that so there's that and then so you say okay so then we have to raise more money okay well but you're already kind of leaning on your donors as aggressively as you feel like you you can right now so there's a gap um and that means you know you either make some compromises in terms of the work you put on stage or you don't add the positions that you critically need, um, you know. It's, so all of those, you're 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 wrestling with those obstacles every day. Yeah, and the community itself is also wrestling with the same things, which totally. makes them not totally. not as likely to come to the theater. <laughs> totally. Um, so it is it is it is tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. I I, uh, I was looking I was leafing through the uh, you had a little pamphlet downstairs uh, before I met with you and one of the things that I was really intrigued by is uh, you had if you're under thirty five years old mm-hmm. you can pay a hundred dollars and get a card that gets you into five shows right I think that's very like that's very smart and and present I guess um, well, do, do you have other creative solutions like that in terms of like getting because the butts in the seats is what at the end of the day what gets your theater money. Um, there are tons of ways that we are always trying to crack this nut. And, <laughs> and you know, I think we had some real success this past year. We, we actually sold 10,000 more tickets than we had sold the year prior. Yes, congratulations. And, and thank you. And part of that was um, a, an awareness campaign. We got some funding to do and, and that had some real benefits. Um, there are always, there are multiple pricing points. So we, one of the things that we said is, okay, even as we're gonna lean on the 
tickets that are we know there's the most demand for. We're going to kind of push the prices up in that area. We're also going to keep a, a, a bucket of tickets every night that are available at $25. Because what we one thing we've learned in research over the last couple of years is folks under 40 who aren't regular attendees, uh, that, that's kind of the price point that they think, oh, that's what I would take the risk, you know, to do. Yeah. So we kind of, you know, given that as an entry point. And, and the $35 thing, I mean, the 35 and under, you know, we've always had prices available for folks um, 30 and under and then 35 and under, but we haven't necessarily marketed it well or made it clear and simple. And this is a, a program that we kind of stole from the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, that it's been successful for them and it's, it's been doing really well for us this year. Um, I think just kind of making it that simple and making it a card for some reason that feels very attractive to people. Yeah, rather so. than going online or something, yeah. you're doing like a bunch of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so. You you've reached out to the community. You were doing an awareness program. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit more? Because this is such marketing a theater, getting a theater out to a community is such a like a fickle beast mm -hmm. to have to do, mm -hmm. and then. There's there's the whole there's the paper marketing there's the online marketing and then there's things like word of mouth that mm -hmm. like you can't really you can only control by the quality of the shows mm -hmm. and then once it's out there it's they're gonna say what they're gonna say. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about making the choice to actually ha have like a an awareness campaign or directly going to the community as like maybe a marketing yeah a marketing tool a sure. marketing tool yeah. sure. So we um, we got. Um, a grant from the Wallace Foundation in New York. I guess we got it two years ago, and it's a four-year investment to help us explore, expand our audience between the ages of 25 and 40. And the first thing that they funded was market research. That no, most theaters do not have the money to fund. None. Mm -hmm. We had we had never done it. And we looked at three cohorts. We looked at people in that demographic who were currently attending, people who had attended and stopped, people who were attending other arts events but had never come here. And we were most interested in that third cohort. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people who weren't coming. What, what, yeah. where, and in that group, 46% had zero brand awareness of the organization. Mm -hmm. Never heard of us, didn't know what we did. Okay, so that was <laughs> shocking. Yeah. But what was very interesting, there are about 20, there are 26 organizations around the country, museums, ballets, operas, and theaters, that this foundation is funding in this audience development effort. And we all did research at the same time, and that was a kind of a universal finding. Okay. Um, that, and, and, and it was really, 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 really interesting, um, because it's like, holy crap, it feels, it reveals to us kind of the bubble that we live in, mm -hmm. where it's like, how can you not have heard of us? But it also, what was very interesting is um, in that demographic, a, a big chunk of that demographic have moved to Portland the last 10 years. And our hugest kind of um, brand awareness moment was the move in of the building when there were all of these media stories about it and there was huge word of mouth about Ebola. Oh, that's calmed. And so when we got that stat, we were like, okay, what do we do about that? And we had been talking, Our uh, one of my board members um, is the president of the Timbers and Portland Timbers soccer team. And um, uh, 
he had been pushing for the last several years saying you need a campaign he would call it an image campaign that is not about come see this particular show but it is about selling the experience of coming here <clears throat> you need to get on the menu with people who haven't thought about coming here and so we got some money from two local foundations we hired um, a local marketing genius used to be White and Kennedy and he actually did the Timbers rollout campaign and he put together a billboard campaign for us 17 billboards so we were on 17 billboards that were 14 feet high by 50 feet long for two months two and a half months and they were so simple and it was just faces of actors from the shows but they were beautifully and kind of dramatically composed and just the words the armory no URL no nice. call to action nice. nothing and his um, jelly who designed it his philosophy was you withhold information so people have to lean forward exactly yeah that's very interesting so they're like what that's very interesting. what what is that you know and that they have to if they if it piques their curiosity they have to go online and find out about the it armory? yeah, yeah. Exactly. what is that yeah. or ask somebody and um you know it it, it has had a really good outcome for us yes. yeah it almost it sort of kind of takes this word this idea of word of mouth by the reins too because it's it, it, the the best thing that you can have as a theater is for a group of friends to be casually talking about your theater. I, mm -hmm. I think is it's one of the most beneficial things. And so it's like, have you seen that billboard that just says the armory? What's that all about? What is and that? Then, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. one person's like, oh yeah, it's about. It. And then you go off on this whole like tangent. Anyways, that that's a brilliant campaign. I really really like that idea actually. Um, we're uh, we're not quite at a half an hour, but uh, we're getting close. I just I'm wondering, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet in terms of leadership, um, the shows that you put on, the, the people that you surround yourself with, or the actors, or, or directing itself, writing shows, like anything anything at all? Uh, well, I think um, for me, running a theater has given me immense artistic rewards. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had the opportunity to develop projects, direct projects, write projects that I would never, likely never have had, had I not had an organization that could produce them. So I would say that is definitely one of the upsides if you can <laughs> organize it in the right way. I also think the right team is everything. And it took me a long time to get <clears throat> the right senior leadership in place, but that is everything in terms of your ability to move things forward. Um, and same same with the board. I, I think it is always it is an ongoing and continual responsibility of yours to bring the board individually into an understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and what it will bring for the community. And and that can be a conversation, but it can also be an invitation to rehearsal or uh, a backstage tour. Or it, it's it's really incumbent on you to continue to help them understand the business and the implications of the numbers that you are discussing with them and so that is a continual education process and it is the way you get them to invest financially fundamentally mm -hmm. those are my final thoughts yeah those are uh, I, I just want to ask yeah, one yeah. more yeah um, how do you cultivate the people that you trust around you? 
how do you find those people? What qualities are you looking for? And I know it's it's on an individual basis, but is there a unifying quality that all of these all of these senior members have that make them desirable? Uh, well, they're all really bright and funny, <laughs> and um, self motivated. They're ambitious for their the theater and for their own area to kind of lean forward. Um, I mean, I mean, some are like you, you want to balance. You know, you want some people who are just like super, who will compliment you, mm-hmm. you know, um, and who will bring strengths to the table that you don't have. Um, but but there also, I think, many of the people on the team are very creative thinkers. They're they're really thinking about how we can innovate in our particular area Mm -hmm. they're they're fun to debate with they're (laughs) strong-minded they're not afraid of sharing an opinion that might be challenging yeah that's part on on you being a leader is you need to present yourself as receptive to those challenging ideas because that's another falling off point of leadership that i've seen before is leaders who pose themselves as kind of defensive yeah. And so the theater feels as though, or people in the theater feel as though they can't come to this person yeah, yeah. Like, and be open with yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, I do. Well, well, I think um, I think that's critical. It's so critical yeah. because your role, <clears throat> doesn't matter your personality, your role, if you're employing people, automatically makes others start to censor themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you seem like the nicest, most open person, and so you kind of have to, you have to encourage that. Now, with the senior team, we work together. I mean, this, the average tenure of our leadership team is ten years. Okay. Yeah. So we have worked together a long time and know each other's buttons, and they know we, we have really good. We have a really good time together. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's important, right? Yeah. That's at the end of the day, it's just important to yeah. surround yourself with people who you enjoy being around. Yeah. Um, excellent. Uh, you know, I feel like a nice little crest of, of the interview. Okay. If uh, people are looking for the the Armory or Portland Center Stage online, uh, is there any plugs that you have at the end of this? Uh, our, our website is pcs.org, portlandcenterstage.org, but also if you Google the Armory in Portland, you will find us. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And uh, I like to end my podcast with this. Can you give me one recommendation of absolutely anything at all? can be a book, a movie, a play, a way of life, a quote, anything. <laughs> Your face was priceless when I asked that. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. there are so many, but I guess my favorite book was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which I've read three times. Interesting. I've heard of that one, but I haven't yeah. read it. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh yeah, it's genius. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very, very... Th- I read it as a junior in college, and I've read it three times, I mean two times since then. Yeah, very... Wonderful. Great. Perfect. Chris, thank you so much for Absolutely. sitting down with me. It was, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Totally. Um, you can find this podcast on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes. And listener, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an excellent rest of your day.